This Money Wise podcast is underwritten in part by Eventide, believing that investing is more than just returns. It's an opportunity to partner with companies that align with your values and are making a positive difference in the world. You can learn more at eventideinvestments.com. Benjamin Franklin said, a penny saved is a penny earned. I'm sure you've heard that phrase, but you may not realize that it's a crucial insight into good money management. Hi, I'm Rob West, and just ahead, I'll explain why that's so. Then the floor will be open to your financial questions. The number is 800-525-7000. 800-525-7000. Thanks so much for being with us. This is Money Wise Weekend, biblical wisdom for your financial journey. Well, as you know, we occasionally like to start out by going back to basics and talking about one of the five things you can do with money. Let me review those. You can earn money, you can live on it, you can give it away, you can owe it to someone or to the government, and you can save and invest it to grow it for the future. So those are the five, earn, live, give, owe, and grow. Today, I want to focus on the first of those, earning, but I want to do so in a non-typical way. You know, normally when you think about earning, you think of getting a paycheck or perhaps receiving a pension or a benefit. But I want to home in on Ben Franklin's words that I quoted a moment ago, a penny saved is a penny earned. Now, if Mr. Franklin were living today, he might say a dollar saved is a dollar earned, but the principle is the same. What old Ben is getting at is that if you can avoid spending, it has the same impact as earning. Let me give you an example, and this is a real-life example from a MoneyWise listener. His monthly cell phone bill was about $125. He thought he might be able to find a cheaper plan, so he shopped around and compared plans offered by several companies. He found that one that met his needs was only $50 a month. So he made the change and thereby was able to save $75 a month on the cost of his mobile phone service. That works out to $900 a year. Now, to return to Ben Franklin's principle, saving $900 a year is equivalent to earning an extra $900 a year. In fact, it's slightly better than earning it because if the employer of this money-wise listener paid him an extra $900, some of that money would have been taxed away. So $900 saved was a tad better than $900 earned. When looking at your overall financial picture, it's helpful to view things through this lens. Always be asking, are there steps I can take to cut my cost of living? If you can reduce your expense, whether it's by $900 or perhaps even more, that's just like earning extra money or even better. Now, I know you're probably thinking, in a time of rapid inflation, how can I cut costs? Well, first, think about goods or services where there tends to be a lot of competition, such as cell phone service or, in some places, Internet service. You might be able to get a better deal from your current provider if you ask, or you might save by switching to another company. But you have to take the initiative to shop around. What about insurance? This is an area in which you might be able to save substantially by comparison shopping, not only for car insurance, but also homeowner's insurance, or perhaps a Medigap plan or Medicare prescription coverage. It's not uncommon to find wide price variations in plans and policies that are quite similar. 
Another place to cut costs is at the grocery store. The fact is, some grocery chains are more expensive than others, typically because they offer more variety. Try buying all your staple items at a discount grocer, and your savings will really add up over time. Now, I'm not saying that all this is easy, but think of it this way. Let's say you spent an hour figuring out how to cut your monthly spending by $100. That works out to be the same as earning $100 for an hour's worth of work. That's not bad. Project that out over a year. Your one hour's worth of work will pay a very good return indeed. Probably everyone listening to me right now would like to get a raise, and I hope you do get one, but a raise is something that's not going to happen very often. So think about the spending side of the equation. Ask, how can I, in effect, give myself a raise by cutting my costs? Now, you can't cut your expenses down to nothing. That's not realistic. But you may be able to cut more than you realize if you apply yourself. Don't give up without trying. Who knows how much you might be able to save. So when it comes to earning money, always consider both sides of the balance sheet. And remember the principle from Ben Franklin, a penny saved is a penny earned. For more ideas that will help you in five areas of money management, earn, live, give, owe, and grow, check out our website. We have plenty of free content that will help you along your financial journey at moneywise.org. I'm Rob West, and we'll be back with your calls and questions at 800-525-7000. Stick around. Do you ever feel stressed or anxious about money? If so, that's normal. But you don't have to accept that. You can find peace of mind and financial security. Learn how with the 31-day devotional, Money Seeking God's Wisdom. You'll find powerful scripture and practical exercises for spiritual and financial growth. You can request your copy with a gift of any amount. Would you consider a monthly or one-time gift by December 31st? Just visit moneywise.org slash give. If the heavy burden of debt is robbing you of freedom and peace of mind, Christian Credit Counselors can help. We're a nationwide nonprofit credit counseling organization that has helped over 300,000 individuals in the last 27 years get out of credit card debt 80% faster while honoring that debt in full. To learn how Christian Credit Counselors can help you, visit ChristianCreditCounselors.org. That's ChristianCreditCounselors.org or call 800-557-1985. Well, we're so glad to have you back with us today on MoneyWise Weekend. I'm Rob West, and we're looking forward to taking your calls and questions. Here's the number, 800-525-7000. To beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee, Lynn, thanks for calling. Go right ahead. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Thank you all, too, for your show. It's absolutely wonderful, and it's helped me prepare for retirement someday and um, stay out of debt. So thank you. Awesome. Um, Well, thanks for saying that. Thank you. I have a question about the real estate market, in your opinion. Um, I have a, uh, I'm a single mom and have a son who will be graduating in two years, and so I need to move when he graduates to be near family. So I have a house that I bought about two and a half years ago for around 650 and I could sell it for 900 I think I have an offer. Um, my question is, should I sell it and make the 250 It'll be a little less than that after... Um, uh, fees and moving cost, uh, and rent and kind of throw away, you know, money on rent, uh, knowing that I have to move in two years, or would you think it'd be wiser to stay and just, you know, 
hope the market continues to improve, although I know it won't do it at the same rate, yeah. uh, and just move once in two years. Yeah. Well, obviously, the, the ultimate answer from a financial standpoint would involve a, a prediction of the future, which clearly nobody knows for sure. What I would say is, uh, I think there in Brentwood, Tennessee, you're in a particularly hot real estate market. It's been hot nationwide. It's been really hot where you live. And so I would see a cooling of the housing market. We've already seen that uh, with home prices dipping ever so slightly last month. Um, but I think in a strong real estate market like that, I would have confidence that you're at least going to maintain the value of the home that you have, if not see a modest increase. If there was any decline, I think it would be slight. And what you would pay over the next couple of years, you know, let's say you uh, paid $2,000 a month in rent, uh, you know, that's uh, 24000 a year, 48000 over two years. That's a lot of money. And uh, not to mention the hassle of moving twice and the cost associated that with that as well. So although I don't know the future, I would say if it were me, I'd probably stay put and just plan to sell and take advantage of the growth that you've had over the last several years, which is phenomenal uh, when you sell it and you're ready to make that move to your new state. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate y'all's input. It helps all of us, I'm sure. Happy to do it, Len. Thank you for calling in today. We appreciate it. Uh, to Chicagoland, Andrew, thank you for calling. Go right ahead. Yes, I'm uh, curious to see what you guys would do. So uh, I'm in sales, and um, I have an absolute, the largest commission check I've ever seen, around $50,000, and God is just blessing you, even with more, that more sales are coming in. And it's going to be a lot more money than I've ever had the the honor to be able to manage. Um, I don't owe anything on my cars. Um, I do have a mortgage, which is at 2.5%, and I uh, is very, very manageable. Um, I'm planning on putting some of it into uh, I-bonds or maxing out my I-bonds for me and my wife, and then also doing, obviously, tithing of 10% and then uh, putting 10% of my 401k. But I also wanted to see what you guys would do with the money or see what you guys, any advice you guys can give me with uh, managing my money wisely. Yeah, great, Andrew. Uh, so commission check, that tells me you're self-employed. Uh, so uh, you are don't have access to a company-sponsored retirement plan. Is that right? I do. I, I, that's where my my four hundred one k is. Uh, oh, is, oh, oh, I missed that. Match. So I, I get. Okay. I, I get. Uh, they match about two point five percent of what I put into it. Okay, and what percent of your income's going in? Ten uh, percent right now. Okay, plus their match. Plus their match, correct. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I think the first thing I would do is max that out. So you're putting in the maximum every year. I do some planning with regard to what's your ultimate goal for long-term retirement savings accumulation. So you have a good sense of what is your ultimate target? Where are you headed? And, you know, to the extent you're just now coming into this real surplus and you've not had that previously, perhaps you're a little behind on saving for retirement or maybe not, but you need to know that and define your finish line so that you know you know, what you're ultimately trying to put aside, because the goal is not just a mindless accumulation of wealth. I think we need to pray through our ultimate savings goals in light of our values and our priorities and say, Lord, what is that finish line, both for my lifestyle, the monthly expenses and what lifestyle we're living and our long-term accumulation. And to the extent you're on track for that, well, that frees you up to once you're completely debt-free and you're not going to pay any more in taxes and you're not going to increase your lifestyle, well, the only bucket 
had left after you've eliminated uh, grow, uh, uh, get, or excuse me, once you've eliminated uh, the O category and the live category, uh, and you've defined enough, so now we're not growing any longer, is just increasing your giving. Uh, but to the extent you're you're trying to you know continue to save for the future beyond that 401k, and it's in light of a plan that's well thought out, um, I would say you know just put that money to work. Uh, you could you know just open a, a taxable account and and invest there and more of an indexed approach, a broad, uh, you know, market uh, approach to investing uh, at a low cost, you know, just buying some broad market indexes. You could look to move into another asset class. So maybe over the next couple of years, as we move from a buyer to a seller's market, maybe you pick up a piece of real estate and, uh, you know, begin to convert that into an income stream uh, over time as you, you know, convert to a landlord if you have interest in that area. Um, I think those would be kind of two options that I would look at in addition to, you know, perhaps uh, getting more of this money into a donor advised fund uh, so that you can minimize your tax burden and then just have fun giving it away. I think any one of those three could be great. I'm sorry, repeat that again. What was the minimize the tax bracket or minimize? Yeah. So what I was saying is you may want, I mean, you mentioned tithing on it and that's phenomenal, but to the extent that you've got, uh, you know, you're increasing, you're getting a whole bunch of income here now in a short period of time, as you get these great commission checks, uh, one option would be to look at, if you didn't know where you wanted to give it all away right away, you could use what's called a donor advised fund, which is think of it like a charitable checking account. As you make a contribution into the donor advised fund, you'd get a tax deduction. And as long as you itemize, which at these levels you probably would, uh, then you could reduce your adjusted gross income uh, with certain limits uh, based on the contributions you make to the donor advised fund. And then essentially that just sits there in your charitable checking account until you grant it out to any ministries or charities. And you could do that right away, or you could do that over the next several years. That's up to you. Uh, but it's called a giving fund at ncfgiving.com. That's the National Christian Foundation. That would be another way to just, you know, reduce your tax liability and get a lot more money going into kingdom causes. I, I love that advice. Thank you for that. I really appreciate that. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, NCF is National Christian Foundation. You can set up a giving fund uh, in just a few seconds, actually. NCFgiving.com. And Andrew, we appreciate you checking in with us. Uh, quickly, before we head to our, our next break, an email that has come in from Brad. He writes, we have a blended family. My wife has two kids. I have two kids. We have one together. We're wanting to set up a will. Where do we start? And I would sit down with an estate attorney uh, to draft up your will. It'll probably cost you around $500, but it'll be money well spent, especially since you're a blended family. There's other considerations there, guardianship for the children. Should something happen to you and your wife, um, would they need to be separated or go to the same place? Also, what about your assets in a blended family? Uh, I would direct you to a great resource from our friend Ron Deal at uh, Family Life Blended. Um, it's a book called The Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. And in that, he talks about something called a togetherness agreement that really wrestles through all of these issues specifically for financial planning and wealth management, but for blended families specifically. Again, Ron Deal, the Smart Step Family Guide to Financial Planning. And we'll be back with more calls on MoneyWise Weekend. God's Word is packed with life-changing wisdom about your finances. And MoneyWise is here to help you and millions of others learn to be wise stewards 
As a nonprofit organization, we rely on help from MoneyWise patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Has God provided financial answers for you through this ministry? If so, please consider becoming a monthly MoneyWise patron. Visit moneywise.org and click Give on the homepage. Investing is more than just returns. It's an expression of who you are and what you value. Does the way you invest your money reflect your identity as a Christian? At Eventide, we design investments for performance and a better world, so you can invest with a confidence to reach your financial goals while remaining true to your Christian values and commitments. We call this investing that makes the world rejoice. More is available at investeventide.com. That's investeventide.com. Welcome back to Money Wise Weekend. I'm Rob West, your host, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you as we take your calls and questions from all across the country. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Chattanooga, Tennessee. Michael, you're next on the program. Go right ahead. Hi there. I think I have a unique issue. Okay. Uh, In 2014, at age 60, I started a master's degree in order to teach uh, at college level in my career. 2017, I started making payments on the loan uh, based on the repay as you earn, which was $100 a month. Well, the loan is approaching $100,000. I'm going to be 70 next year. So the college where I teach, uh, because it is a state school, we have loan forgiveness if I make 120 payments without missing any. Uh, So that will be 2027. And so what's the best thing to do? Do I need to like calculate how much $100,000 is and try to pay that off, you know, with my salary, my educator salary and Social Security in order to get that paid off or just wait out the loan forgiveness or, you know, as a Christian? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, there perhaps there'd be some that would disagree with this. I, I don't have any problem with you taking advantage of the loan forgiveness for this specific program that your school uh, apply or applies to. Um, but with regard to this particular program in, in terms of public service loan forgiveness, it's an incentive program that really uh, is driving toward a need that exists. And if you qualify for it, Michael, I would say take full advantage of it. So I would send your scheduled 120 or 10 years worth of uh, on-time payments. And if they're going to forgive the rest, I'd be grateful for it. Um, you obviously have a lot of debt here, but uh, you know you are doing your part. And uh, you know I think that's what this program is for. So I would say, at least from my standpoint, ethically and biblically, you'd be perfectly entitled to do so. All right. Great. That's what I needed to know. Thank you, sir. All right. Thank you, Michael. We appreciate your call. Uh, to Chicago, Mitzi, thank you for your patience. Go right ahead. Sure. Uh, thank you for taking my call for all that you do. Um, I have been meaning to call for a long time. My mother, our mother, passed away about two years ago. She left the house to my sister and I uh, via a transfer on death instrument. Um, I live in the home and two brothers, me and my children, and then my two brothers. One is about to move out, the other uh, eventually. So my question is, um, there's... There is equity in the home. There's a hundred thousand dollar mortgage. The property's worth maybe about three hundred thirty thousand. I would like to uh, convert the property, fix it up top to bottom, 
uh, and turn it into a three-unit property so each family can live in, whoever can afford to can live in it. Um, if, or does it make more sense to buy out um, my brothers, my sister still wants to stay on, and then just have a, a rundown property just not ha- because we wouldn't have enough money to fix it up if we bought out our siblings? Yeah, well, I think we've got to begin kind of with each person's objective in mind uh, is, you know, any one of the three uh, or the options are to try to cash out. Number two would be to try to turn that asset into income production or number three would be to actually occupy it. So do you feel like you all, all three of you have clarity on which one of the three you would like? And actually there's, there's six of us and oh. Uh, total, there's six of us, but Tanya, uh, my sister and I are the only ones who um, own the property legally. Um, so we, we're all in agreement to, you know, converting it into a three unit, but that would mean we would have to get a construction loan and take out, I would assume, about 300000 So we, we would have a $400,000 mortgage. Um, or does it make and- sense just to buy out? a few of my siblings, and then I live in the property and my sister's in another state. So. Yeah, I, I guess I don't understand the, you said two of you own it legally, but it actually was inherited by all six? Well, my sister and I inherited the property, but there's yeah. six of us. She had a will and she wanted, she really, in the will it says she wanted us to sell it and we split it equally. So uh-huh. we all have a, a Stake in the property. Okay. Okay. So, so speak, it really was inherited six ways. Um, yeah. I mean, the the idea that the six of you would go into business together, which is what you'd be doing, sounds exciting. Uh, it also sounds very complicated, uh, just because relationally, that you know, when money's involved and renovations and you know, renting it out and who's managing it and who's you know, a silent partner and who's not carrying their weight and who gets into financial difficulty and wants to get out. I mean, this is complicated stuff. I mean, why not just liquidate it and each of you take your part? And then if you want to go get in the real estate business, you can do that. Is it because of the sentimental value or something else? Yes. So most uh, of the siblings don't want to sell it. I would say I would be the only one okay with selling it. Everyone else wants someone to keep the house. <laughs> um, but I, yeah. I don't want the, the complexity of having, you know, to owe, you know, the shares to my sibling and, and live with some of them in the same house. I would like my own. So it's, it is yeah. very complicated. It is complicated. I think you all need to have a sit down together, uh, and decide what you want to do with it. But, uh, I do it. I discourage you from going into business uh, with five of their family members. That just uh, is a recipe for challenges down the road. Uh, whatever you do, make sure you have an attorney involved. This one's a little complicated. Uh, how about we do this? Leave your name and number, and uh, we'll have our, one of our team members get back to you. Thanks for your call today. Uh, to DeCab, Illinois, I think our final caller. Christian, I've got just a minute or so left. So uh, I have, I'm in debt a little bit. I have my credit card that is 7K. I'm 20 years old. I'm about to finish my degree uh, in associate. And I also have a car payment. Uh, and the car is worth right now 27000 And I owe about 15000 I was wondering if I should sell the car, get debt-free, pay off my credit card, 
whatever that money I have left is buy a cheaper car around $10,000 or how, what do you think about this? Yeah, the challenge right now, Christian, is car prices are just sky high. So uh, now you should get that sky high price on the sale, which means that if you're maximizing it on the sale, then you can afford to pay a little bit more. If you can find a good, older, reliable car that would allow you to sell this $27,000 car and pay off the credit card debt, uh, I would do that. I'd just do your homework to make sure you can get what you want and then you can find that new car that allows you to get in at a price point that frees up the money to pay off the credit card debt. But before you do that, get on a budget and make sure you can live on it for at least a couple of months because I don't want you to pay it off the credit card debt and then only to have it come back down the road. Thanks for your call. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the program. We have covered a lot of ground, it seems, and that's always the goal. My thanks to our amazing team today, including Deb Solomon, Amy Rios, Jim Henry, and Gabby T. I'm Rob West. I'll be back again next time and hope you will too. God bless you. Bye-bye. MoneyWise Weekend is provided by MoneyWise Media and by listeners like you.